You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the eighth episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Uh, Essentially, if you're listening to this, you've been listening to two months worth of podcast, eight episodes, eight weeks, and it feels so much longer than that. But I want to thank you guys for sticking around with us and continuing to subscribe and like and five star, whatever that looks like on the platform you're listening to. Doing those little interactions helps us reach an entirely new audience. And we want to thank you guys for your enthusiasm because from our perspective, just to peek behind the curtain a little bit, we did not record an episode on Tuesday of Thanksgiving week and we were inundated, all of us, with text message and phone calls of you guys asking, where is the new podcast? And that wasn't a bother, that was an encouragement to me personally, letting us know that you are indeed listening every uh, every week, week to week. So we wanna thank you for that. And just as a note to the future is that when we take breaks for major holidays and things like that. We'll, we'll try to let you know uh, in advance uh, when that's coming. But as Gandalf reminds you every week, if you will subscribe, then we will be sure you don't miss a single episode. You'll stay current that way. Very good point, Nathan. Thank you for that. And in the spirit of holidays and traveling, I just got to ask, uh, where are we going today? <laughs> Man, we're going to Eden. And that works because we don't know exactly where that is. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the the question of the half hour. You know, so I, I uh, you know, in preparation for today's episode, I was I was rereading this in one of the study Bibles I'm using, and the very first note that you get on Eden is the location of Eden is unknown. Suggestions include Armenia, Iraq, Africa, and Arabia. Um, and uh, they, they usually try to give, you know, some reasons why the, the geography is muddled on knowing the location. Uh, but Matt, we have discussed when it comes to Eden uh, that the point uh, and the emphasis on location is not so much a latitude and longitude thing, uh, that we have to read it as we've been reading the Bible so far. It's, it's more than just uh, where latitude meets longitude. Eden is more about where heaven meets earth, right? Yes, that's very good. In fact, I would to talk directly to the listener right now from what you have learned in our previous episodes from what we just read out of that that study bible is what perspective is missing in that study bible it's only looking at the physical side it's only looking at the physical side of this genesis story and hopefully by now that uh, you've picked up on in these last few episodes that the ancients just saw more that there's the is the physical side and there is also the description of the spiritual side as well. So I think we fall into error if we just think of, uh, as you just said, Nathan, latitude and longitude when it comes to the location of Eden, just as much as we would fall into error if all we thought about Eden was some kind of spiritual, supernatural, far off in the clouds of the imagination of ancients. I mean, th- that's just as equally erroneous. There, there's more to what's going on in that story than just the physical, and there's more than just going on in the supernatural. And we're going to look at that today. Yeah, and you get little hints into that in the text. And so why don't we start, uh, are, you, are y'all okay if I read uh, Genesis 2, 8 through 14 for us? Go for Man, it. Man, go for it. 
Um, and the Lord God, and again, this is, we're reading from the ESV each week. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight of good for, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, and where there is gold. And the gold that is in that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are also there. The name of the second river is the Gahon, and uh, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Uh, and so just as we get into today's episode, uh, because the Tigris and the Euphrates uh, in particular are very uh, well-known rivers from the ancient world associated with cultures like Assyria and Babylon, uh, a lot of people latch on to these geographic details and, and immediately they start looking for that spot on the map that best, you know, accounts for the description, uh, you know, topographically or geographically that were given for the Garden of Eden. And they say, oh, it was probably in this general area. Uh, but to, to, to return to what Matt was saying, uh, in doing so, we immediately skip over some very pertinent details in the text. Uh, the fact that uh, the tree of life is in the midst of this garden, the fact that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, are, are, is in the middle of the garden. And again, and you cannot buy those seeds at Home Depot. I mean, this you is something <laughs> you cannot buy <laughs> those seeds at home. That's so well, well said. Yeah, <laughs> there's something more going on here. Yeah, that you you automatically get hints that you're dealing with something beyond the physical realm. Uh, we saw good in Genesis chapter one, uh, but this is our first uh, introduction to the notion of evil. Uh, there's something beyond the physical world at play. Uh, so, Matt, uh, you know, uh, to my point, where is Eden? Well, I, I think you captured it earlier when you said, hey, look, it's the place where heaven meets earth. And also, I think one of the things that we're going to see as we talk about the rivers is that all of these rivers and lands to ancient people, rather than thinking about the, the, the geographical line on a topographical map, uh, they would have been thinking about, oh, the different civilizations that these rivers would in, would encapsulate essentially the the life of all the future civilizations is tied back to this garden that it's it's all coming back to the garden and i i think that's going to play into a little bit about what we're going to talk about today which is uh uh some mountain mythology now that may sound a, a little bit strange to you but uh I want to talk about mountains because I believe that the Bible gives us a picture that Eden is on a mountain. But rather than talking about, hey, it's on a mountain in Armenia or it's in on a mountain in modern day Iraq or somewhere like that. I, I don't think that's what's being captured here. It's it, remember, we're talking about the place where heaven meets earth. And yeah, because uh, if I'm pushing that, Matt, uh, I, I, I see the language of a garden here, but nowhere do the verses I read mention a mountain anywhere. Yeah, out of curiosity, uh, Gandalf, when you read this text, what do you imagine when you imagine... The, I mean, the Hebrew word for garden is gan. What do you imagine when you read garden, just in English? If you're reading along, what what picture do you have in your mind? I have... When 
talking specifically about Eden, I have long pictured it like as a garden, as depicted in the masterpiece 90s movie, Land Before Time, where oh. it's like a, a valley <laughs> a that's lush and green. Star. <laughs> that's right. And literally everything outside of it is like desolate wasteland. It was, what was it? Oh, the, the Great Valley when he goes over the ridge. Oh, that was such a good movie. Yeah, but and and then like Matt, but at the same time, uh, and you know, you made this point earlier. Uh, we have details in the text, like the fact that flow four rivers are flowing out of this garden, and and water typically runs downhill. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's not so much a northeast southwest orientation. You know, we're told that the Garden uh, of Eden is in the east, uh, but there's there's more emphasis on these four rivers that are each flowing out of this and in order to flow out in different directions you have to have an elevated space so even though a mountain's not mentioned it's certainly envisioned well i think yeah and if you look at verse uh number six that esv or at verse number five it said god had not caused it to rain on the land the hebrew word there is eretz and that does not necessarily mean <laughs> when we think of land we maybe think you know pasture land it can just simply mean earth uh, and i think there's some other places in the scripture that can help us a little bit in fact ezekiel 28 12 through 17 as and that's a passage we'll come back to again and again yes uh, so it talks about uh, eden and it talks about eden as almost a description of being on a mountain and uh, so let me read that to us this is this is an uh, an ancient chant given or a diatribe against the king of Tyre and this is a prophecy about his downfall and I want you to listen to the language it's used and what it says about the Garden of Eden. This is Ezekiel 28 12 through 17. It says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Okay, here we go. Eden the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Here it is, verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, let me just, as I bring that to a close, hopefully you picked up twice. It's talking about Eden. You're in the garden, but you're on the mountain. You're on the mountain of God. Now, there's a couple things. Now, there is not full scholarship agreement on what's going on here. There's essentially two major camps of thought. Most scholars agree that this lament is direct directly targeting the king of Tyre, but clearly the king of Tyre was not in Eden or on a mountain in Eden. So and, what what is Ezekiel drawing on is the question. Right. Ezekiel is drawing on this this ancient diatribe. It actually comes from what is called the Baal cycle. It's, it's, it's recalling an ancient myth to where 
the god El, the or Baal, cast down. It, Nathan, wasn't it Yam? Yam. Let's. Uh, so it's probably Yam, but since we're you know in the southeast, let's say Yam. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Cast down <laughs> the, Yam the, off of the, the cosmic the mountain. Ancient, the ancient Near Eastern thought experts are gonna you know crucify this <laughs> podcast, but we're gonna say Yam until then. Yeah. Okay. It's so, Yam. It's Yam. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Yam. But Yam. So he was cast down off of the mountain. So that that comes from the ancient Baal cycle. Now, so the scripture captures this to talk about the downfall of the king of Tyre. And also, scholars say that this is also descriptive of the fall of Satan as well, where Satan was cast out of the court of God, cast out of the garden. So uh, what what I want you to see here is that's one view. The other view is that Ezekiel 28 is talking about Adam, that rather the guardian cherub here that's being discussed, being cast out of the garden, is not a reference to Satan, but it is a reference to Adam being cast out of the garden. Either way, the point for today is and, and, this. And the Adam view is very much a minority, uh, weakly attested view. Yes, it, it is a minority view. But whether you think the guardian cherub was Adam cast out of the garden or Satan cast out of the garden, I think it's still pretty clear that both of them were in Eden on the mountain of God. Whichever way you go, Ezekiel 28 points to this cosmic idea of a mountain where God dwells on the earth to where these people were cast down from. Okay, so you say that it's drawing inspiration from a Baal myth, the Baal cycle. It also sounds to me like something more akin to like Greek, like Mount Olympus. That's actually a really good example. And ironically, my my daughters and I watched Disney's Hercules last night, so uh, this is fresh. Me, you mean Hercules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is fresh on my mind. Now it I ma- can go the distance. <laughs> yes, so I got it. I got the concept. All right, love that line from Hades there. But anyway, you're probably wondering what in the world are they talking about ancient mythology? on a Bible podcast, why does myth have place in, in this discussion? Yeah, um, because when you say myth, I immediately, like when you talk about myth in the Bible, I immediately want to push back on that because, you know, I would not describe the stories in the Bible as myth because myth, you know, kind of denotes that it's not true, which obviously none of us believe that. Yeah, so we, we hear the word myth and we automatically think fiction, right? Uh, and we think Disney. We think Disney. Yeah, that seems to undermine the whole premise of our podcast that says the Bible is true and it's better than fiction. Uh, so when we use myth, we're not using it that way. We have to remember that the ancient world is saturated in myth. And one thing that we've stressed week after week after week is we get a better a uh, more fulfilled reading of the Bible in the here and now when we do our best to capture how the Bible would have been heard then. And so we have to remember, you know, uh, their discussions were not always our discussions. And you had in all these cultures around the biblical world, you had these uh, well-developed myths for how the world came to be and what accounted for the operations of the world. And so a myth, uh, a myth was not necessarily, to employ that language, is not necessarily to say true or false. In fact, it's interesting, C.S. Lewis referred to Christianity as the true myth. Right. Uh, so for him, a myth is not inherently fictional. Um, uh, 
But the same myth is not to say true or false inherently. To, to use the language of myth is to say this is a vehicle for explaining the world as we know it or as they knew it through a story that contains both gods and men. Uh, through, uh, through a story that uh, captures the interaction between the physical world uh, that we can see and experience and the spiritual world that lies beyond the veil. Or more succinctly put, like you said earlier, it's a story about where heaven, where heaven meets, meets earth. earth. Yeah, right. that's it. Um, and so you have so many scenes in Scripture, uh, you know, just to take a, a, a quick, uh, uh, you know, digression from speaking about Eden. You have so many scenes in Scripture uh, where there is a physical experience that everyone's experiencing, uh, but there is a spiritual reality that's going on simultaneously that not everyone uh uh, that not everyone can experience in the same way, right? I think of one of the most famous examples in the New Testament I think about is uh, when Paul is on the road to Damascus, right? Ah, yeah. He, he sees a blinding light and he audibly hears the voice of Jesus Christ. Now to everyone there, something was happening, but only Paul experienced the full reality, the physical and the spiritual aspect of what was going on. So it, it would be fair to say that Paul was having a mythological experience. And, and what we mean by that, supernatural. God was interacting with humanity. This is not a fictitious in the sense of Paul was having a make-believe experience, but rather a supernatural one. It's kind of like in um, Lord of the Rings when Frodo puts the ring on, right? He doesn't, he doesn't disappear, right? He gets teleported to a spiritual plane. And that's how come he can see the Nazgul and uh, the spiritual yeah, beings like the and things like Weathertop that. Out of uh, Fellowship yes. of the Rings, yeah, that's good. I, I think of, uh, and this is an example uh, later in the Bible, Second uh, Kings chapter six uh, right. with Elisha, uh, and you know, and, and and the yeah, and the people of God are just vastly outnumber, uh, and Elisha says, uh, "Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them." And uh, his servant wants to object because he's like, uh, Elisha, clearly you're not seeing everything that's going on here. And then Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And God, you know, opens his eyes uh, and he saw and the mountain is filled with horses and chariots of fire all around them. Right? Right. So, so one of them is experiencing the physical aspect of that reality. Uh, and if you know if 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 he were giving an account of what's there, he would give a description of the armies that he can see. Elisha, prior to praying that God opens his eyes, is seeing a fuller reality. And so Elisha's account of what's going on is going to be more fleshed out and full than uh, than than what his servant. So let's put it this way, tying back into the Christian Standard Study Bible, which is a great study Bible, by the way. But in if if Elijah's servant were writing the study notes for Genesis, he would have written what was there. He would have focused on the geography of where Eden might have been. But but Elisha, if he's writing the study notes, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's not just about geography. It's about where the flaming horses and the place on the map meet. It's about where both worlds collide. Yeah, so I... Yeah, y'all mentioned Mount Olympus. I've I've been to Greece and I've been to Mount Olympus, but for me, well, flex. For me, it was a strictly physical experience. I didn't see Zeus. I didn't see Ares. I you know I I didn't see all the wonderful things that there were to see from the cartoon Hercules. Um, 
But you, you had in ancient cultures, you had a belief, and we believe the Bible is the true version of this, uh, um, but you had a belief that there were locations where the spiritual realm and the physical realm intersected. Uh, this is something that is captured throughout the Bible. This is the logic behind the tabernacle and the temple, right? Mm -hmm. It is a mean for the spiritual to dwell among the physical. Those are those are copying Eden. Uh, this is why the the high priest, uh, when he goes to offer sacrifices, goes into the innermost court that is separated from the others by what? There's a wall of separation. There's a veil. Um, but Matt, it made me think of what you talked about earlier. It's so interesting that you read Ezekiel 28, uh, because in the midst of all that, we have this seemingly uh, arbitrary, you know, uh, arbitrary uh, uh, detail about all the precious stones being the coverings, uh, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. But where is another scene in the Bible that we're given a description of all sorts of precious stones? Right, it, the, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. The high priestly vestment, yeah, to go into the place where the physical meets the spiritual, it, mm. it, it, it captures that same imagery. I think that's uh, too good to be mere coincidence. Dude, I love this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and it says in between all the rivers that there's gold and bdellium and onyx and all Exactly. That you have the same imagery in Eden. Eden. Uh, and, and again, why, why else? Why else? That otherwise, without some unifying explanation, that feels like a very arbitrary detail to include, right? Right. right. Um, and, and what what they're trying to capture in the text is this is a place that has significance beyond where it's located on the map. Uh, and, and hypothetically, even if you find it on the map, that doesn't mean you experience the place in its fullness. So tying this back to Eden, the significance of it being on a mountain is that it's like invocative of almost like a Venn diagram, right? Where you have the two worlds colliding and then there's a little um, overlap between it. So it's on a mountain. So that's, you know, a shorthand for going up to heaven. In a, in a previous episode, Matt drew attention to how the Bible will keep coming back to water imagery. Right. And so let's go ahead and uh, put another Chekhov's gun over the fireplace in this episode. The Bible will keep coming back to mountain imagery. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, God will speak and give a very important set of commands uh, regarding uh, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he's speaking right. that on a mountain. When when will God speak on a mountain again? He'll do it with the giving of the law at right. Sinai. And again, uh, you know, people continue to hunt for and, and find the, the historical Mount Sinai. But there's more to Sinai than its location on the map. It's a place where heaven and earth met and God addressed and revealed to humanity. The New Testament example of Jesus giving in a sense, the new set of the, the fleshed out Ten Commandments. The Sermon on the, the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes. And and let's let's go a step further, Matt. How does the Gospel of Matthew end? Right before the Great Commission, we get this seemingly arbitrary detail. Where does Jesus meet with his disciples? He on a on a mountain. It's ah. it, it's better than fiction, brother. Um, <laughs> I, I love the Bible. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, and so uh, and and so what we're trying to capture uh, again. I hope it doesn't sound like we're reading so much into Eden. Um, th there's actually a building block here uh, because uh, it, it's <laughs> uh, what we're trying to capture. Uh, the the building block here is the mountain imagery is going to keep coming back into play, and for them, uh, for them, Eden was so much more 
than a garden in a geographical location. It was a means uh, of capturing the the heaven. Well, I was earth. just thinking also is that uh, Nathan, you and I were talking last night about Justin Martyr and his apology, as well as Clement's writings about how they try to take the worldview of the Greeks and uh, ancient Canaanites, Ugaritic, all, all that stuff, and they try they they have a common worldview with the Jews. This whole idea that th- these high places of worship, these temples, these ziggurats were built on mountains, and you go up there to encounter the deity, this whole idea of going back there to pierce the veil. One of the things that Clement talks about is that they have a kernel of truth to them. So even when you look at the other religions in the ancient Mideast, and even in ancient Greece and stuff like that, or e- even ancient Egypt, and I think it's it, what's interesting there, going back I haven't thought about this until this episode, this whole idea that these rivers that would have given life to these ancient civilizations. One of them runs to Kush. One of them runs to Kush, and they're all connected back to this cosmic mountain. So there is a kernel of truth in these ancient mythologies. I don't want people to listen to this podcast and say, hey, well, you can read the Bible or you can watch Disney's Hercules and get an idea of what the unseen world is like. Uh, No, of course not. However, there is a common shared worldview that heaven meets earth in these sacred places on mountaintops, and it's found in all of these ancient mythologies, and what we're getting at is what C.F. Lewis pointed out, that the Bible is the myth that just happens to be true, that this God that speaks from the mountain, all these other mythologies derive from that and have kernels of truth, but to Justin Martyr and Clement's point, it's only the Christian story that has the the logos the the word complete yeah and let's not pretend like that imagery is completely lost on us how many churches uh church structures uh, i know the church is certainly more than the building but let's just look at the symbolism of a church building are they are they by and large built flat or do most of them have an elevated structure uh such as a steeple that is oh. that is elevated and it is pointing upwards. It's capturing something transcendent. Oh, and that's the whole idea of the European cathedral as well. That's it. Um, uh, and we could go much, uh, much, much more into that. Uh, it's it's interesting, Matt, uh, you know, since uh, we're, we're talking about surrounding cultures, again, uh, from the Ezekiel example, uh, the taunt to the king of Tyre. It's right. very unlikely if the king of Tyre is hearing that. Uh, right. It's very unlikely that the king of Tyre knows the biblical account. But the king of Tyre more likely knows the Baal cycle to which you alluded. He more likely knows that broader ancient Near Eastern uh, mythological structure. And so uh, the Bible, again, it's written for us, but not initially to us. In order to dialogue and be meaningful with the people of its day, it utilized the structures in which they were thinking without affirming truth where truth did not exist. It It is setting forth the true version of the story in challenge. It's that polemic thing we've talked about. Uh, what's what's neat, Matt, is you've talked about uh, looking at how the Bible interprets the Bible, um, and j- you know, just a we're setting this forth as an argument that we're not entirely crazy on this issue. But also, this is not just a shooting from the hip. We're looking at how the prophets and the New Testament apostles how they pick up on the spiritual themes. This is not just. I, w- I want st- to. I want to be clear here and push back a little bit. Uh, on those that, you know, I'm imagining maybe saying, wow, this is a whole lot of ancient mythology for a Bible study, is the reason we're interacting with ancient mythology 
is because the biblical writers do. They're, they're interacting with it as well. And it's, and it's not putting a stamp of approval on all ancient mythology. It's saying, listen, all those mythologies are connected back in some way to what really happened. And in fact, you were talking about the king of Tyre. One of the things that not just where is Eden, we need to talk about what Eden actually is. And we talked about the king of Tyre. It made me think about the king and his court, the garden. Um, we talked a little bit about what the garden is. Uh, like Gandalf, what was it said you imagined when you thought of the garden? Well, I think of a, I think of the Great Valley from Land Before Time. Or if you grew up where I did in in the American South, you know, somewhere you you grow corn or tomatoes, th- you know, things like that. But that's not the word that's there. Give now the Hebrew word, it's, yeah. <laughs> the Hebrew word is Gan. But what's interesting is how the LXX or the Septuagint scribes translate the word Gan. It doesn't do garden at all, does it? It doesn't do garden at all. It uses a completely different word. Um, so paradise. The, yeah, paradise, paradision, or so that word means think about like a well-managed, well-watered park. So think about almost like a, a theme park minus the the Disney rides, so to speak, where everything is manicured and made beautiful and 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 organized. So there's there's more to Eden than the garden. Right. More to and and verse number ten says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Now to remember where where's the source of this water? We didn't really talk about it last week. In verse number six, it says a mist was going up or a stream was going up from the earth and watering the whole face of the ground. So in a sense, this this place where God is in Eden is providing water that is rushing out to the full earth. And if you read Revelation 22, you should have some major parallel right there. We can talk about that at another time. But it's the fact that Eden is watering the garden, the place where heaven uh meets earth and then ultimately this water is going to flow out and uh, provide water for the whole ground that's more water imagery just like we talked about uh, it yeah. just keeps on coming back to it yes yeah yes. And, and matt uh matt you very quickly hit on uh the book of daniel and nebuchadnezzar oh, uh, yeah. I, I, it can't we mentioned it this in our first be, episode yeah it cannot be missed uh that you have almost a false eden uh, like i said the first temptation uh, that Daniel and his friends face in Babylon is to eat the wrong stuff, just like mm-hmm. the Garden of Eden. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what's what's the key architectural f- feature of Babylon uh, from the ancient world for which it is remembered? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And uh, right after the food temptation, you get to Daniel chapter 3, and what's going on? Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar wants to be worshipped as a god. It's it's oh well I'm saying it's it's the combination of a kingly space with a religious space. Uh, it's 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 more it's more than it's more than just you know your backyard vegetable patch. Well, in light of hearing all this, it actually reminds me of a story that's going to come up, and that's the Tower of Babel. Oh, oh yeah. I can't wait till we get there to try and get to heaven. Don't tempt me today. Don't tempt me today. <laughs> well, okay. So the typical way that we think about that story is th- that we think about first of all, all the imagery is this big spiral tower, and even though ancient archaeologists, almost all of them point to, is probably more likely a ziggurat 
which is the, the ziggurat in the ancient world, was a means to have a staircase that ascended into the heavens. The ziggurat would sit by the temple. So it was, it was a mountain in the middle of a city. So imagine you've got a city on the plains. When we get to Genesis 11, you've got the plains of Shinar, and then you have this ziggurat in the middle of the city, and most likely there would have been a temple at the bottom. The idea was is that, that there was a stairway that went to heaven in order to pierce the veil to get back to where God was, to get back to the other side of Eden. There was a stairway to heaven? Yeah. Well, hey. yeah. And it, oh man, I, I would love to talk about Jacob's dream of his of his ladder here. But the ladder, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll get wow. to that. But see, there's there's just I hope you're is sensing the excitement in all of us, and each of us rather, in talking about this episode. There's just so much to Genesis that is being drawn from. This is the well that the rest of Scripture is going to be drawn out of. Uh, just a couple of things that are interesting. So we're saying that Eden is the place where God is, and it's described as a garden, okay? Now, what's interesting is the, the Hebrew word is gan. The Greek word for the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew, is the word from which we get paradise. The word for we get, which we get paradise, and it's interesting what, how it's used in the New Testament. Perhaps you remember the story of when Jesus is dying on the cross and the thief next to him uh, confesses him essentially as the Messiah, and Jesus says to him, "Truly, I today, yeah, yeah say to you, I to, say to you, you today, you will be me with me in paradise, in paradise." paradise. So that's the and you same have it, word. You have it again in Paul too, right? Second uh, Corinthians twelve. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, uh, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Uh, by the way, just to mention there what Jews would have thought about the third heaven, the way ancient cosmology would have worked, they would have thought of the firmament, the sky which you see is the first heaven, and then above the firmament is the waters above, and the third heaven would have been the abode of God. So the third heaven is referring to being above the second, which would have been the cosmic waters. Well, and even in that verse where he's saying the same thing that we're saying, where it's not about where he was going, but what was there? Because it just says right it's, there, out of the body. It pops up again in uh, Revelation 2, and at the end of the letter to the church at Ephesus, he who has an ear, let him hear uh, what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers or overcome, I will grant to him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, and we're going to come back to uh, the tree imagery in next week's episode. Right. Um, I do want to put press on the fact that which is in the paradise of God. It does not say which will be, but rather which is. It's a present tense, and verb tenses matter in the text. It is the tree of life is currently in the paradise. It never of stopped God. being there. It never stopped <laughs> being there. So we just we just stopped being there. That's it. Uh. That's it. So do you see the problem that is created? If we only focus on the material or the physical, hey, where was Eden? What well, was somewhere off in the mountains of Turkey? Something like that, or in the plains of Iraq. And, you know, it was destroyed by the flood, so nobody will ever find it again. No, the reason you cannot find it is because it's guarded by cherubim. We're not allowed to go there. It has been completely cut off from us. And 
while there certainly would have been a physical aspect. Is it, is it fair to say that? Is it fair to say that it's blocked by a veil? Yeah, that, yeah, we've uh-huh. already talked about that. It's it's blocked. Yeah, it is blocked by the Stay veil. Stay tuned. Yes, the, but somebody is going to come through the veil. In fact, a, a couple of weeks ago in the sermon, I talked about the whole idea of this tree on the mountain, this this tree on the mountain of Eden, this tree of life that we have no access to, because we had no access to that tree. God has come through the veil and planted another tree on a mountain, which is, by the way, outside the city, so that Jews and Gentiles there have access to it. And that that tree is the mercy tree, the tree of Christ. And by going to that tree of life, we once again have access to today. You will be with me in paradise. I, it, it, just the well, imagery. I, I, think, of, I, I think of Hebrews 10. Uh, we have access through the veil, that is, through his body. Mm. Speaking of the crucified Jesus. This could go on and on. This could go on and on. Oh, yeah. This is what we talked about last week where we are done with the setup. We're done with the opening crawl of Star Wars. And now the meat of the story is beginning. Oh, man. And and it's going to keep going like this. Just from our conversations, I know it's going to keep on going like this until the other end of the book. Mm. So we definitely have given the folks a little bit extra because we took off for Thanksgiving. But before we go, I just want to make sure we got this right. So the main thrust of these verses that we're talking about is that it's not about Eden as a, as a place where longitude and latitude meet, but rather where heaven and earth meet. That's the big takeaway. That's, That's it, it, man. Awesome. Well, thank you, folks, for listening to this extra long episode of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Just a reminder, if you like what you've heard, and you want to hear more, subscribe, and you'll continually get new episodes. And if you want to leave some feedback, maybe we'll even address it on the show. You can visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com and leave us a message. We really appreciate getting those. We'll see you later, guys. Shalom. Later. Boom.